0: Yeah, it's good to be back. We had a great time uh, in Doha. They worship on Fridays, so I preached three times Friday. And uh, uh, it was great. But, you know, we just miss you guys. I mean, we love you guys. So it's good to be back. It's good to be back with you. Um, From our very earliest moment on the planet, we are marked and labeled and branded. You know this, right? I mean, as soon as you're born, you're scooped up. They put a little tag on your wrist and somebody puts either a pink or blue cap on your head. Uh, You get your father's name. People know that you belong to him. Uh, You're born in a certain country, so you learn a certain language, and you have an anthem, you have a flag. Um, You say a pledge. We're Americans, we're Italians, we're uh, Filipino, we're Nigerians. Uh, You go to a certain school, you have special colors, you have a mascot. At athletic events, people know... Who you, what school you belong to. We get a job. Some people wear um, special attire so we know what they do for a living. You get married and you wear a ring. People know you belong to somebody, right? Some, uh, some in the world revere the crescent moon. Some revere Buddha. Some revere a six-pointed star. We know what they profess. Um, so from the very beginning and all through our lives, we are marked, branded, classified, labeled, categorized, and identify it's just something man does man has always done this man has never not done this from the beginning of time it's a universal trait of every nation tongue and tribe why do men do this why do they have this compelling desire to belong to be marked to be labeled uh, uh, and, and to declare who they belong to i think any amateur psych- psychologist will tell you that it flows from a deep-seated need to belong what I don't think many uh, psychologists will know is why that's true now we're Bible believing Christians we understand why we feel a need to belong we were created by someone and what for someone as Bible believers we know we're supposed to belong to our creator so all this marking and branding and classifying and labeling it's it's something that we had it's a visceral need we had it's something that we lost in the fall because we know we're supposed to belong somewhere to somebody. And so man has created these other kinds of labelings to suffice. Colossians 1.16, we were created by Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. We were created by Him and for Him. We were redeemed by Him and for Him. Jesus said there's one mark. We already mentioned it. Jesus said there's one mark that will preeminently mark you as mine. What was it again? Someone tell me. What did Jesus say in John 13? You remember John 13, 34 and 35? He said, by this all men will know you belong to me. What was it? That you love one another. That's our distinguishing mark as Christians. If If we don't love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, then we're not Christians at all. We're playing a game. We're playing religion. We've been deceived by Religion. Jesus said it like this John thirteen thirty four and 35 a new commandment I give to you love one another even as I have loved you by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another Jesus says the world will know your mind not because you go to church on Sunday not because you carry a Bible around not because you call yourself a Christian. They'll know you for sure. You belong to Christ because you love one another. Even as I have loved you. Now the Old Testament teaches us what? That we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And that we're to love our neighbor as ourself. Right? But this goes way past loving your neighbor as yourself. This New Testament revelation of Jesus Christ is infinitely beyond loving your neighbor as yourself. Because... Jesus says you're to love one another as I have loved you. This is way past loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says this is a new commandment and it's radically different than anything that's ever been said in the Bible before. God says I expect my people to to love one another as I have loved my people. We know this is a divine and radical call christians are to love christians as christ has loved christians how many of you are up to it let me ask you this how many of you've been loving your brothers and sisters like this this is a we know this is a, a high call of god it's an impossible call but he gives us the ability to do it how by the enabling of the holy spirit I'm to love Keith as Jesus Christ loves me. Keith is to love uh, Christina as Jesus Christ loves him. Christina is to love Jen as Jen as Christ loves her. So this is what it means to be a Christian. This is supposed to be your preeminent mark as a believer in Christ. Let me ask you, Christian. Is it your preeminent mark? Are you known as a Christian, because you love the brethren. And the world can see you loving the brethren. I mean, you're, you're building your life around loving God and loving His people. This is supposed to be visible. This is supposed to be palpable. This is supposed to permeate every day of your life. Every single day. This is what Jesus is calling His people to do. Do you bear that preeminent and distinguishing mark of Christianity? This will be my last reminder sermon of the new year, I'm pretty sure. I'm not really sure. I'm never really sure, but I'm pretty sure it's the last one. So uh, I think next week we will start going verse by verse through Colossians. But this, I had to just, the Lord laid it on my heart to call you to love each other in 2010. This is a sermon that I think I could preach once a quarter and it wouldn't be too often that we're reminded we're to sacrificially love each other. So I'm just going to ask you again, is that a reality in your Christianity? Is that a reality in your life, that you're pouring yourself out for the brethren? That's what we're called to do, beloved. Christianity is nothing less than that. Pouring ourselves out for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Guess what? God really expects you to live like this. I know it's supernatural. But God really expects us to to submit to the authority of the Word and to uh, respond to the leading of the Spirit and to be poured out in love in the body of Christ. Yes, we're to love uh, our neighbors out in the world, but particularly we are to love one another in the body in the way Jesus loved us. So how did Jesus love us? All you have to do is look at the Creator God God Uh, leaving his throne and there he is laying in a manger. Can you believe it? That's God laying in a manger. Why is God laying in a manger? Because he loves you. Why is God being nailed to a tree? Because he loves you. This is how Jesus loves. This is the kind of love God's calling you to. You know, yeah, this this is big love. This is huge love. Are you loving like that? In this church. That's what Jesus called you to. That's what Jesus has called me to. I, I, I was just thinking of some superlatives uh, about Jesus' love. You know, I, I could go on you know, until I fell down, but I was thinking it's, you know, it's a premeditated thing. He decided to love us and He came for us. You're supposed to be premeditated in this. You're supposed to decide to love your brothers and you're supposed to do it and your sisters. He was determined to do it. He was proactive. He wasn't passive. It was unconditional for Him. There were no conditions. He came to love His people. He was persevering in it. It was costly. It was selfless. It was sacrificial. It was irrepressible. You can't stop Jesus Christ from loving His people. And listen, (laughs) nothing's supposed to be able to stop you from loving one another sacrificially and Selflessly. his love was radical it was unstoppable it was boundless and extravagant And i want to say this to you brothers and sisters this is not a suggestion from god this is not a suggestion this is not good advice this is not a proposal god means for you to do it and I, i'm going to exhort you in 2010 don't forget what you're called to do in the body of christ you're called to love and serve one another we remember what first john said that we're to lay down our lives for one another. Well, we know we're not going to be martyred in Italy, most likely. I mean, that's just not going to happen, right? So what does it mean, lay your lives down? It means lay your life down in love and service to your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is basic Christianity. It's basic Christianity. This is the first thing we should learn. This is the first thing we should begin to master. And I know it's hard. But, friends, we need to be submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to love through us. This is elementary. This is supposed to be the fundamental mark of true, genuine Christianity. You know, the, John the disciple, the Apostle John, you know, he was sitting in that upper room the night before the cross, the night before Jesus was crucified. He was sitting in that upper room and he heard Jesus say this. Jesus dismissed Judas and then he talked to his eleven, the eleven who really loved him. And he said, this is what he said. I'm just going to give it to you again. He said, Men will know that you are mine by the way you love each other. And John was sitting there and he heard this and it's like John never forgot it. You know, two years ago we went through... Uh, that little epistle, First John. And I'm just going to go through real quick and pick out about three or four verses and I just... John never forgot this and John was just driving it home and driving it home and driving it home in First John. First John is the book of assurance. How do we know we're a Christian? Not because we parroted a prayer and somebody said we were, because we are like what 1 John says. 1 John is a reflection. We look into it and if we see our reflection coming back, it's like a mirror. If we see our reflection coming back, We have assurance that we're a Christian. John says, this is how real Christians live. 1 John 3.10 Anyone who does not love his brother is not of God. That's pretty plain, right? If you don't love your brother, God says, you don't belong to me. 1 John 3.11 This is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John 3.14 We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. See there? That's how we know we're uh, born again. Right there, 1 John 3.14. We know we're born again. We love the brethren. Friends, if you don't love the brethren, you have every reason to question your profession of faith in Christ. You may have just been a victim of religion, which so many people are. So many people are who call themselves Christians because you know, they did a religious thing. And some, some priest or some uh, preacher or somebody said, well, you're a Christian because you did this religious thing. Friends, that's biblically unrecognizable. In the Bible, God says if you you love one another, that's a mark, that's a true mark, that you are indeed born again, that you belong to me, that you are begotten from above, you are begotten of God. 1 John 3.16, we know love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I already shared that one with you, in love and service. 1 John 3.18, Let us not love with word or with tongue, but how? How should we love? In word and in truth and in deed. Let me ask you, Christian, are you loving in deed? Are you loving in deed? It should be flowing off your fingers and and off your tongue in your life. It should be real. It should be tangible. It should be palpable. Jesus says, you will know a true disciple of mine. They will be marked out and labeled. You will be able to tell because they love my people. They love the brethren. And Jesus, The love of Jesus is not syrupy and sentimental and maudlin. It's, you know what, you know how Jesus loves. It's blood, sweat and tears kind of love, right? This is the kind of love that he's called us to in this body and everybody you belong to. Uh, you belong to for the rest of your life, you're called to blood, sweat, and tears kind of love in that body. Unconditional love in that body. Sacrificial love in that body. Selfless love in that body. I know this is a high call, but this is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. It's a relentless, roll-up-your-sleeves-and-go-to-work kind of love. It's fearless and courageous, and yes, it's very expensive. And I got to say, I, uh, I'm glad Jesus has called us to this kind of love because obviously we need that kind of love at the International Church of Milan. You know, I'll just share with you briefly. Uh, I'm from the States and I live in, a, in an area of the States called the Bible Belt. And, you know, there's just a church on every corner there. And you can pick any flavor of church you want. You can, you can worship in any style you want, any tradition you want. You can worship with your same social class. You can worship with your same race. You can can worship with people who believe exactly like you do down to the finest point of doctrine. You can worship in the church that has the color of carpet you like. There's so many flavors there. You know, you don't have to really love anybody because everybody's the same. Everybody thinks the same and talks the same and smells the same and looks the same. Everybody's identical, so it's just a love fest, right? Right? It's just a love fest because everybody's the same. But you know, in an international church, it's not like that. And man, it was, it was so awesome to be in Doha. It was just like this church, just bigger. There were people from all over the world in that church. And they were just loving Jesus and worshiping Jesus. It was awesome. It was just awesome. I mean, I just love that. It's just like, a, to me, it's like a little, it's a little taste. It's a little taste of heaven. At ICM, we've had 58 nations through the church in six years and every conceivable denomination. And, uh, and I long for more diversity. I love diversity. You know who gets the glory when Italians and Americans and Nigerians and Chinese and Malaysians, you, you know, when everybody comes together and we're, we're, loving, we're loving God and we're loving each other, you know who gets the glory for that? God does. You know, men don't understand this. And dead religion can't understand this. That's God's work. And friends, I want us to be more, I'd love for us to be more diverse because God gets the glory. He is honored and He is magnified. And here's the other thing. He's delighted. He's delighted when His people come together and love each other as He has loved us my sin would not survive unless we learn to love each other unless we submit to the holy spirit in this church you know this those of you who've been around uh for a while we magnify the word of god we stand on the word of god if god's word says it we're going to teach it if it's not in god's word we're not going to teach it i i don't care who said it uh we're not going to teach it unless it's in the Word of God. We're uncompromising about that. But the other thing we have to be uncompromising about is that we're going to love each other like Christ has instructed us to do. And we, we have to be uncompromising about that. If we refuse to love as Christ has called us, by definition we, uh, we no longer uh, belong to Christ and by definition we are really not a church. It doesn't really matter what we say... It's like we've been talking about in James. It doesn't really matter what you say. You know, what does God say in James chapter 2? What good does it do to talk about it? To tell somebody who needs clothing to be warm? What good does that do? Or tell somebody, uh, be filled if they need food. What good does talk do? What are we supposed to do about it? We're supposed to love. And we're supposed to give. We're supposed to love our brothers. If we hold to His Word... And if we proactively love each other, Satan has no opening here. Satan has no opening in this church. Now, you know that Satan doesn't destroy churches from the outside. How does he destroy them? From the inside, right? Because people will not love one another. When Karen and I first got in Italy, we met with a veteran missionary, and I said, you know, what do I need to know that I don't know? He says, well, Satan's coming after you. He's going to come after you and your wife. And if you get a ministry team put together, he's going to come after the ministry team. And if you actually get the church up and running, he's coming after the church. He says, I've seen it over and over and over again. It's a true thing. I think it's a true statistic. I've I've been told this uh, multiple times by many different people that 90% of all evangelical missionaries uh, in Italy eventually quit. Uh, I believe that is a true statistic. So he says, Satan is going to come after you. He doesn't want you here. And, you know, he says he's going to try to get in between you and your wife. He's going to try to get into you, in, in between you and your ministry team. And he's obviously going to try to get into the church. And I've seen it since I've been here. I've seen ministry teams implode over nothing because they would not love one another. I see churches split over almost nothing because they will not... Submit to what Jesus says and love one another. I was talking to some brothers down in Doha. There's some issues there. You know what I said? I said, love each other. Love each other. I showed him my little wristband here. Love each other. Love each other. Yes, sometimes truth will divide. We understand that. Some people don't want the truth and they leave. We understand that. They went out from us because they were not of us. We understand that. But we will love them. We will love them until they divorce themselves from us. Beloved, in Colossians 3, God says you're different than the world. God says you're not supposed to act like the world. You've died to that. If you really belong to me, then you've died to your old self. God says you're supposed to put away anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech. God says to put on the new self. And I'm just going to read. Some of you may want to turn there. I know I haven't gone through a text yet. I will in a minute. But uh, Colossians chapter 3, if you want to turn there, you're welcome to do that. Uh, I'm going to read Colossians 3, 11 through 14. Uh, it's a familiar passage, Colossians 11 Pardon me, Colossians 3, 11 through 14. This is the Word of God. He says, There is no distinction between Greek and Jew, uh, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all in all. And so as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion... Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, uh, forgiving one another, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should forgive. And beyond all these, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. I love how the message paraphrases uh, a couple of these phrases in here. He talks about dressing the wardrobe God picked out for you. What is the wardrobe God picked out for you? That you would love one another. He says, put it on, just like you put your clothes on in the morning. Put it on and wear it. Don't leave the house naked in a spiritual or Christian biblical sense. Put it on in the morning, this garment of love. He says, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Wear it every day. Wear it every day. So we're going to have a pastoral moment. We don't have those very often, but this is a pastoral moment. So this is a parenthetical thing. I'm just going to stick this in here. Uh, If you're here in the church and you want to squabble about everything and you want to major on the minors and you want to find fault and complain and you want to be unkind, you want to have a critical spirit and you're unwilling to humbly learn from the differences we have sometimes with one another, if you're unwilling to be long-suffering with the rest of us, if you harbor every perceived offense and you will not forgive or be willing to be forgiven, if you are unwilling to forgive me when I disappoint you, then... Here's what I want to invite you to do. Maybe you could find another place to go to church. Okay? Have you ever had a pastor tell you that? Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. This is my commitment to you, each one of you. There's no partiality here. If I discern that you're uh, fomenting uh, strife in the church, your phone will ring and I will come to you. And we will sit down and we'll talk and we'll try to open up the Bible and figure it out together and and we'll counsel together, we'll pray together, we'll wrestle... We'll wrestle... Yeah, Adam. My good brother Adam. We'll wrestle together for a season. We'll work hard at it. We'll pray. We'll do whatever we... I'll do whatever I have to do. But here's the deal. If you want to uh, disturb the loving unity of this church and you refuse... You refuse to stop doing that. I will ask you to leave. I will not sacrifice the distinguishing mark of true Christianity, and that is that we love one another. So that's a promise to you. Whether, I don't care who you are, if you are fomenting strife and disunity in the church and disharmony disharmony, and you're inciting that, I will come to you. jesus commands he says our authentic in, authenticating mark is that we love one another as he has loved us colossians three fourteen. beyond all else put on love which is the perfect bond of unity by god's grace and enabling icm will be known for its agape love now some of you uh, who know the bible some you're familiar with that word agape uh, i'm sure most of you recognize it it's the greek word that jesus uses in john 13 it's the The word that Paul uses in Colossians 3. What does it mean? It just means sacrificial love. It means the kind of love Jesus displayed and acted out upon the earth. That's the same kind of love you're supposed to have for me. And that's the the kind of love I'm supposed to have for you. I just want to ask you right now, will you commit to love each other like that in 2010? God expects that from you. Friends, this is not an academic exercise. God expects it. (laughs) He expects it. It's a command. Again, it's not a suggestion. This is not a suggestion. God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. He says, I expect you to love my people the same way. Understanding we know we can't do it perfectly. We know we can't. But as we submit to the power and the enabling of the Holy Spirit... We can learn to love like that. I'm going to finish tonight just going to 1 Corinthians, the text that we read earlier, that Gary read. You know that great text, that great love chapter. And I just want to finish tonight looking at that, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As always, you have to get context. Uh, if, you, if you don't get the context here, you, you miss much of the power and force of the words uh, here in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, Paul's right in the middle of one continual reproof and correction of the Corinthians. They have wrong understanding and wrong attitudes and wrong behavior about God's ordinances and God's gifts. And he's reproving them. And then he interjects here in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 13, right there at the end of chapter 12, he says, And I will show you a, uh, a still more excellent way. What is it? Chapter 12, verse 31. I will show you still a more excellent way. And then he just, he just segues right into chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mystery and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but I do not love, I am nothing. Paul says, if I have transcendent eloquence, if I preach and teach the greatest truths in the most profound ways, but I don't have love, he says, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Why is he using that imagery? Because the pagans in, in Corinthians, when they would worship their false deity, they would just bang and bang and bang and bang. And Paul's saying, if we don't love one another, we're no better than the pagans. This is what Paul is clearly saying. He says, if it's just words, we're no better than the pagans. We're no better than those pagans who are banging their gongs and their cymbals. Paul says, uh, without love, it doesn't matter. Paul says, if I could unwrap all mysteries of the transcendent God, if I could fathom all the unfathomable mysteries of, of God, if I had the faith to move mountains, but I don't love, it's meaningless. You see how strong this is? You see see how God is driving this point home? God's serious about this. (laughs) God is serious about this. Paul says, Man, if I can do all these things, but I don't have love, he says, I'm nothing. Look at the end of verse 2. He says, I am nothing. I am nothing. Look at verse 3. And if I gave all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I delivered my body to be burned, but I do not have love... It profits me nothing. Paul says benevolence without love is of no profit at all. You could be the most sacrificial uh, person in the world, but if you don't love, Paul says it's worth nothing. He says even martyrdom is of no value if we do not love. Are you getting the picture? Are you understanding the import here? Do you understand what God's calling you to do in 2010? Do you get it? Radical love. Radical extravagant and I'm gonna call you to commit to that I'm gonna call you to commit tonight to love each other radically and extravagantly you know I think a couple of weeks ago I challenged you to do a random act of kindness in the body and uh, I bet some of you did maybe some of you didn't Karen and I had an opportunity to to uh, uh, the Lord enabled us and gave us an opportunity to to uh, do that and, and it was a great blessing I gotta tell you it was just fun for us okay and what I want to say to you, if, you if, you'll, if you'll do a random act of kindness, if you'll love someone in the body, it's just fun. You know, God knows how to have a good time. and He knows how, he knows, he knows, uh, how to tell His people to have a good time. I got to tell you, it's just fun. It's just fun to, to love somebody for no good reason. Just do something nice, something kind, something gracious, something generous. Someone in the body just because you love one another, just because you're brothers and sisters, just because you have a common father. You know, we talk about it so many times. God is an omnipotent giver, man. He just—he never stops giving to His kids and he expects us to resemble Him in that way. He expects us to be open-handed and to love one another. Verse 3, I love how the message paraphrases it. It says, so, no matter what I say... What I believe or what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. And then Paul in verses 4 through 7, the Apostle Paul is going to hold up this diamond of agape love so we can see all of its many colors, hues, and facets. It's interesting that here in the English there are some adjectives. But if you go to the original Greek... These words are in all verb forms. They're all verb forms. God is not giving us an academic lesson on what love is. God is calling us to do it. It's a verb. You're supposed to do love. You're supposed to do love in the body. This is not what love is. This is not a lesson on what love looks like. This is a lesson on what love does. This is a lesson on what you're supposed to do if you call yourself a follower of Jesus. That's what it is. God is saying to the Corinthians, He's saying to you, and He's saying to me, do what I say. Love one another. I've got to tell you, friends, I'll say it again. It's just fun to love one another. It's fun to serve, to serve one another. Yes, sometimes it's inconvenient, and sometimes it costs, and sometimes it's messy, right? It's, you know, the phone never rings at a convenient time, and a brother or sister needs help. It's never convenient. You know, I have people say to me, well, I couldn't do it because I had this. Or I couldn't do it because I was doing that. (laughs) Friends, if a brother and sister calls, you drop everything. If it's possible, you drop everything. You drop everything. This is what God is calling us to. Look at verse 4. Love is patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. and It is not jealous. Love does not brag. And it is not arrogant. Literally, love is to be long-suffering and long-tempered. I love that. God says you're to be wronged again, and that's it. If somebody wrongs you, I'm done with them. I'm never going to do anything. I'm not going to love them anymore. Is that what God's Word says? Somebody gets one chance with me, and that's it. I'm done with them. If they don't perform up to my standards and specifications, I'm done. Is that what God's Word says? What does God's Word say? How many times are we supposed to forgive a brother? 490 times. 7 times 70, of course, which is a metaphor for always. And look here, that's what, the, that's what the text says about love. It is patient. It is kind. It is not jealous. does not brag. It is not arrogant. It is kind. Just as patience will take anything from others, kindness will give anything to others. Literally to be useful, serving, and gracious. It's more than having kind feelings. It's doing kind things. It's being proactive in the body. Love is not jealous. Jesus called it uh, an evil eye in Matthew 20, 15. It may be the most insidious and destructive sins. Uh, agape love is the antithesis of jealousy. I love you remember what we learned in James chapter 3, verse 16. For where jealousy and self, selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. So love is, true love is the absence of that. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. I love how the message prayer phrases, It says, love does not strut. Love does not strut. The Corinthian believers, they were proud of their gifts. They were vying for attention. They were spiritual show-offs, as John MacArthur says. But what does God's Word say to us about pride and arrogance? Let me just give you a brief survey in Proverbs. Proverbs 8, 13, pride and arrogance, God says. Does anybody know what God says about pride and arrogance? God says, I hate it. I hate it. That's what the Lord says. Proverbs eleven two: 2. When pride comes, then comes dishonor. Proverbs 13, 10. Through presumption comes nothing but strife. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Listen to this. I want you to hear this. Arrogance is big headed, but love is big hearted. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Arrogance is big headed, but love is big hearted. Love forgives and forgives and forgives and forgives. Love is big hearted. Look at verse 5. Uh, love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not, take a, uh, uh, it does not take into account a wrong suffered. Very simply, Christian love is not rude. It is gracious and considerate. Love does, does not seek its own i love what one theologian said it says if you could cure selfishness you would be back in the garden of eden is that not true if we could just cure selfishness which we can't do with our fallen sinful rebellious hearts we'd be back in the garden of eden but you know the church is supposed to be like a little garden of eden supposed to be loving each other serving one another as we walk with god love is not provoked it is not aroused to anger or outbursts of emotion Love guards itself against this. Genuine love guards itself against being irritated and upset and angered when offended. You know, a person who's seeking for his own agenda, he is easily provoked, right? If you cross him, he is easily, he is easily provoked. But love considers nothing its right and everything its obligation. I love that. We consider nothing our right and everything our obligation and everything as our obligation verse 5 love does not take into account a wrong suffered it's an accounting term it's an accounting term resentment keeps careful books but love has no ledger resentment is going to keep anybody that wants revenge they're gonna keep careful books I owe you this I owe you that I'm gonna revenge against you I'm gonna take revenge against you but true love keeps no ledger they keep no score it's gone, I forgive, I forget, I love my brother, look at verse 6, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices with truth, love does not rejoice uh, in unrighteousness, the most common form of, uh, of rejoicing in unrighteousness in the church is, can anyone guess, gossip, it's just about talking about one another, you know we shouldn't be talking about one another except in a positive way, in an uplifting way, in an edifying way. And you know, when you're, you know when you're saying things about one another that you shouldn't be saying. God expects His children to love each other and to not rejoice in unrighteousness. I love, I love it. Love and truth and righteousness are inseparable. They are inseparable. Lo- uh, verse 7, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Um, to bear means to cover and support and protect each other from exposure and ridicule you know it's one thing i tell the the team is that we'll fight for each other and we'll protect each other we'll not listen to uh, uh, a an adverse word said against a team member really we shouldn't do that for anyone in the church but we'll fight for each other we'll protect each other we'll defend each other what true love means love does not expose it does not exploit it does not gloat it does not condemn i love what john MacArthur says he says love bears all b-e-a-r-s it does not bear all b-a-r-e you know we're not talking about our brothers and sisters we're not telling that thing that we, we we know in confidence we're not saying it we keep it inside true love bears all it does not bear all love believes all things it is not suspicious it is not cynical jealousy and envy uh, love to believe the worst but true love loves to believe the best love hopes all things in our darkest hardest most painful moments love hopes in god don't you love that love hopes in god agape love refuses to take Failure as final. And lastly, here, love endures all things. I love this. It's a military term, brothers. It's a military term. Love endures all things. Love will not relinquish the ground no matter what it costs. I'm going to stand in love. I don't care how much it hurts. I don't care how much I'm wrong. I'm going to love this brother. As Jesus has loved me. How many times have you wronged Jesus, friends? How many times have you sinned against Him? Maybe even today. How many times? His love is infinite. And while the dimensions of that far exceeds our human ability, Jesus says, Love one another, even as I have loved you. Again, it endures all things. It holds fast no matter how much it costs. And then there at the beginning of verse 8 it says love never fails. It never fails. It never fails. God's love is from everlasting to everlasting and it never fails. And that's what He's calling us to do. That's what He's calling us to do. So church, I'm simply calling you. I'm reminding you and calling you and exhorting you to obey the Lord's command. I'll say it again. I think maybe for the third time this is not a suggestion this is not a nice little sermon that you enjoyed or maybe didn't enjoy and and you don't do anything about it friends this is the word of god god means for you to uh, incorporate this in your life as soon as you walk out that door this is a reality for you it's going to be reality all year long you're not going to forget what you've been called to do by jesus and that is to love one another christ Christ's love bears what is otherwise unbearable. His love believes what is otherwise unbelievable. His love hopes in what is otherwise hopeless. His love endures what is otherwise unendurable. So I'm calling you to courageous, expensive, selfless, sacrificial love in 2010. That's your job description in 2010 as a Christian. Sometimes it will be, almost every time it will be inconvenient. Sometimes it will, in fact, be quite messy. But that's the kind of love that we're called to show. That is our distinguishing mark if, in fact, we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, this is just serious Christianity. <laughs> I told the guys down in Doha, I said, man, you think you're down here because you're, 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 you have a job and you're getting a check? Wrong. You're on God's errand. You're... You know, Christianity is supposed to be visible in Doha because you're here. Christ is supposed to be seen in Milan because you live here. And Christ is to be alive and well in this body as you love one another. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another, even as I have loved you. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. Beloved, this is not a suggestion. This is the Word of God. Let's pray to you. Awesome Lord, You've called us to a lofty thing. We know it's impossible, humanly speaking. But we know what You're telling us to do. We know You're telling us to submit ourselves to the power and the enabling and the strength of the Holy Spirit. We know we can't do this in our own flesh. But we know we can do all things in Christ. We know that uh, you have the power, Father. You have the power. You've given us the third member of the Trinity. Lord, I pray that we would appropriate that power. I pray that we take this serious. I pray that there's not one person in here tonight who is not convicted and who does not take this serious. And who will commit tonight to love their brother and love their sister as we have been loved by You. I pray, Father, that we would take it serious. That's our mark. That's how men will know that we're really Christians. Not not just that we're religious people, but we're really Christians. We're born again Christians. We lay down our lives for the brethren in love and in service i pray great god you would teach us this great truth help us oh lord we pray help us to love like this in jesus name amen Amen.